What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens Podcast. I am your host, Zach Cronin, and I hope that everybody is doing exceptionally well today. Tuesday, October, what is it? Tuesday, October 19th? I think today is, I don't even know the date. We're off to a fucking beautiful start. Today, Tuesday, October 19th, is the start of the 2021 2022 NBA season. It begins this evening with my Brooklyn Nets taking on the Milwaukee Bucks, a rematch of last year's fantastic Eastern Conference semifinals. And the nightcap for tonight is the Los Angeles Lakers going up against the Golden State Warriors. This season, I think, is going to be one of the most entertaining NBA campaigns that I've ever watched, mostly as a Brooklyn Nets fan, but just also as a but just also as a fan of the league as a whole. Think about what we have, just starting with tonight. The Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, to me, the two best teams in the NBA. Bar none, without a doubt. The road to the championship will either go through Brooklyn or Milwaukee this season. I'm just going to come out and say it right now. And that's with the Brooklyn Nets not having Kyrie Irving, which, as we know, is a saga in and of itself. And then out in the Western Conference, we have probably the most competitive field we've had in a while, the Lakers, the Clippers, when Kawhi gets healthy, the Denver Nuggets, of course, the Golden State Warriors, who I'm very high on, and I don't seem to see many people who feel the same way about them. But since we're on the topic of NBA teams, we're going to start today's episode off with an NBA teams tier list. As you guys know, tier lists are huge in pretty much every avenue of content creation. And I felt that instead of just going one by one with every team and just giving my opinion on them, I figured why not rank them? Why not do a little area, a little, you know, little power ranking? Now, please keep in mind that this has nothing to do with the games going on tonight. This is more so covering the season as a whole and what to expect from the season as a whole. I have, what is this, six different tiers from best to worst, best of the best, contenders, potential conference finalists, the middle of the pack, not quite there. And the final tier is the poop tier. There are only a couple of teams in the poop tier, but when we get to that, you're going to see why why these teams are so shitty. So we're just going to go in alphabetical order because this is how the teams were arranged for me. We are starting off with the Atlanta Hawks. As we know, the Atlanta Hawks are coming off of a conference finals run. However, I feel that that remains their ceiling for this season. Of course, they have Trey Young, Clint Capella, John Collins, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, Bogdan Bogdanovich. This team is a very, very solid team. I'm just going to go ahead and put them in the potential conference finalist tiers. I don't see them as a contender at all. I still feel that youth is a big problem for them. I mean, not even a problem, but their youth, um, their defense is atrocious. And I don't think that their offense is strong enough to overcome that. I was saying the same thing about the Brooklyn Nets last season, but even, you know, towards the end of the season, they picked it up considerably, you know, creeping up into like 18th or like 20th or something. So they were below average, but not among the worst teams in the league. So potential conference finalists, the Atlanta Hawks. Next up, Boston Celtics. I think the Boston Celtics are a potential conference finalist as well, mainly because of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. To me, the Celtics have kind of just like fallen off. Maybe not considerably, definitely not considerably, but the team is 
worse off, I feel like, than in years past. I mean, they did get Al Horford back, but I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make. It's really going to be relying on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And luckily for the Boston Celtics and uh, head coach Ime Udoka, he's the head coach, right? I hope he's the head coach. That's going to be really embarrassing if he's not. Fortunately for them, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't anywhere near their peaks. I mean, when we talk about Jason Tatum, this is a dude who's a future MVP candidate, potentially also a future scoring title holder. This kid, I mean, we know how good he is. We know how good Jalen Brown is, even though I don't know when he's coming back because he is dealing with uh, COVID-19 as of right now. But I think the Celtics could have a pretty decent season. Another, like one thing about the East, and I just got done saying this about the West, is that the East is also very, very, very competitive this season. You know, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, spoiler alert, they are they have separated themselves and clearly sit at the top of the pack, but there are six, seven other really good teams in the Eastern Conference. Maybe not conference finalist worthy, but playoff bound, and it's going to make the last couple of weeks of the season very entertaining. And speaking of separating themselves from the pack. I have my Brooklyn Nets, the best of the best. To me, Brooklyn is the best team in the Eastern Conference without Kyrie Irving. They are, of course, the best team in the Eastern Conference with Kyrie Irving. Although we don't know when Kyrie is coming back, KD is still there. James Harden is still there. Joe Harris, Paul Millsap, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, James Johnson. The list goes on and on. This team is, they're poised to have a nuclear campaign. So long as everybody stays healthy. That is my biggest concern with the Brooklyn Nets. What is the health situation going to be like? Is it going to be a repeat of last season? I sure as shit hope not. More than anything else, though, I just hope that everyone is healthy for the postseason. Because, you know, the regular season, it is what it is. Obviously, you want to have home court advantage going into the playoffs. You want to have the the most advantageous matchup possible heading into the playoffs. But... It's, it kind of is irrelevant, especially when, when you consider the talent of this team. Who do we have up next? Chicago. The Chicago Bulls are one of the teams that I am personally going to keep an eye on and watch as frequently as possible. I've raved about Chicago all offseason long. I think that they had the best offseason right up there with the Brooklyn Nets, right up there with the Miami Heat. But you get DeMar DeRozan. You get Lonzo Ball, even though the league is still, quote-unquote, investigating the tampering that went on between those two parties. You have Alex Caruso. You have Nikola Vucevic. And, of course, you have the god himself, Zach Levine. This team is one piece away from a contender, from being a contender. I feel like, of course, another thing is uh, the chemistry that these guys are going to have to develop. I'm curious to see how long it takes for them to all gel with one another. Fortunately, Lonzo Ball is there to conduct all of it, and he's not someone who's going to take shots away from DeMar or Zach Levine or Nikola Vucevic. I don't really see that being an issue. Um, And with, you know, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, everyone knows the offense is going to run through Levine. What's going to happen with DeMar DeRozan? I think he's going to play a lot more off-ball. I don't want to say a lot more off-ball, but I think he's going to get back to playing off the ball. You know, back to when he was with the Toronto Raptors and playing alongside Kyle Lowry because it's kind of a similar dynamic here, at least in terms of having multiple stars. Of course, Zach Levine is not the same kind of player 
that Kyle Lowry is. But he's someone that he's going to have to split touches with. He's someone who is going to command a lot of attention. He's someone who who passes the ball pretty well for someone who really isn't a point guard. I'm just really interested to see how their dynamic plays together. And then you have Nikola Vucevic, who's just going to hold down the paint and kind of just create a lot of space for everybody else to operate. I think the Bulls are potential conference finalists. I do think that they're worse than Atlanta and uh, Boston, but they're not a middle-of-the-pack team, I don't feel like. like To me, middle-of-the-pack are borderline playoff teams. I guess I should have renamed that to make it more appropriate, but, um, you know, fuck it. I guess next up, the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers, fully healthy, are a legitimate title contender, and I feel like I have to put them in the contender spot just because... They will have Kawhi Leonard back at some point. And as soon as Kawhi Leonard comes back, the whole dynamic of that team is going to change. I do think that they're going to play pretty competitive basketball because Paul George is still a beast. I mean, he could very well have an MVP campaign depending on when Kawhi comes back. But I'm looking for a repeat of what he did in his final season with the Thunder. You know, top three MVP uh, finish. He was like third in the MVP voting. Averaged 27 points led the league in steals, was a defensive player of the year candidate as well. I'm going to put the Clippers in the contender slot because I truly feel that they are a contender. It's just a matter of when does that potential get realized again. And of course, it comes back with Kyrie Irving. Now, next up, we have the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte is a very entertaining team, but at this point, I don't know if they're a playoff caliber team. I think that, you know, LaMelo's great. Gordon Hayward's great. Yeah, Terry Rozier as well. I just don't think they have it quite yet. So, you know, kind of short-winded. I do think that they're a middle-of-the-pack team for sure. I mean, this not quite their tab. That's more so for teams who are rebuilding, who are, are showing some signs of potential. The Charlotte Hornets are beyond that already. And they could have been a playoff team last year. Of course, they got fucked over by injuries. LaMelo, I think, hurt his wrist. And then, what was it? Gordon Hayward suffered a foot injury or something like that. I mean, they could have punched through to get to the postseason. Of course, the East wasn't as competitive as it was or as it is going into this season. But I would not be shocked if Charlotte did, you know, play spoiler and maybe sneak in as an eighth seed. Or who knows, with this play-in tournament bullshit at the end of the season, they might be able to sneak into the postseason themselves, not something that, you know, at least in regards to the playing tournament, not something that I get down with 100%, but if they're able to get into the postseason, so be it. Next up, Cleveland Cavaliers. I, something in my bones is telling me that Cleveland does not belong in the poop tier, but they're also the Cleveland Cavaliers. And time after time, year after year, They just suck so badly. Now, times are different now. You have Colin Sexton. You have Darius Garland. That's a pretty decent, you know, a pretty decent lineup or a pretty decent backcourt lineup. I believe they also have Kevin Porter Jr. If I remember correctly, let me just go and double check that real quick because that's a very, very decent backcourt. Let me just double check this roster, dude. What are we working with? Lowry Markinen, I totally forgot about that. Torian Prince. Colin Sexton, yeah, Darius Garland, Jared Allen. I love 
my guy Jared Allen. And no, they don't have Kevin Porter Jr. Um, oh no, that's right, they traded him to Houston. Anyway, I still think I don't think Cleveland is in the poop tier. So all of you Cleveland Cavalier fans, you can kind of rejoice that your team is not going to be absolute dookie water this season, but definitely not quite there. I don't want to say no shot that Cleveland makes the playoffs this year. But if I had to bet, and I'm not a betting man, but if I had to bet, I would not bet on that. They're closer to being in the lottery than they are to being a playoff team. Next up, Denver. Denver, I've said this multiple times throughout the offseason. Denver is in the same boat as the Clippers, where they are contenders, but not as of right now because they are too dealing with quite a substantial injury. Jamal Murray coming back from, what was it like an ACL tear that he suffered last February or so, somewhere around that. We don't know when he's going to come back, right? February, I'm thinking the earliest he comes back is Christmas. That's only a 10-month recovery. And also, I don't think the Nuggets feel that they have to rush him back anytime soon because you have Nikola Jokic, who's the league MVP. You have Michael Porter Jr., who just signed a fat extension after having a very respectable uh, third season. You have Aaron Gordon as well. They just signed Jeff Green away from my Brooklyn Nets, who's going to be, you know, I think he's going to be absolutely tremendous for that team. They're not going to fall. They're not going to just like fall into a volcano and suffer this big spectacular uh, regression this season. I definitely don't think that. Um, even listen without Jamal Murray, this team is still, I think a top four team in the Western conference. I mean, it's only by like a game or two, but they're in there. They're going to be competing for one of the top four seeds all season long. And with that, I'm going to put them in the contenders tier. I'm sure as you guys have probably picked up on right now, I think that in terms of contention, the East has the two, the two best teams. I've said that already. The West and we'll get into this in a little bit. I feel that the West only has one true contender. One true contender. They have a bunch of teams that are on the doorstep of contention, especially with, again, Los Angeles or the Clippers and the Nuggets. But even those teams fully healthy, I don't know if they have a legitimate shot at bringing home a title. Now we're getting to the Houston Rockets. Here we have it. We have the first team in the poop tier. And I promise I'm not spiting Houston Rockets fans for their, one of their state representatives, Ted Cruz, throwing himself into the Kyrie Irving situation. I just think that Houston does not have a very good team. I mean, the only guy off the top of my head who makes them worth watching is John Wall. Maybe that's just me being a dumbass, but let's take a quick, let's take a quick gander at the roster. Why don't we? So we have John Wall, who isn't going to be playing, I don't think. Unless something's changed, like the team is not interested or neither side is interested in a buyout. But John Wall is interested in playing elsewhere if Houston can facilitate something. They have John Wall. I totally disrespected Christian Wood. I'm sorry about that. Christian Wood was an all-star for me up until he suffered his injury last season. I mean, you still have Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon Jr. You still have Eric Gordon. You have Kevin Porter Jr., Daniel House, uh, Daniel, Daniel Tice, Jay Sean Tate. I just... I don't foresee this team having a good season. If even if they are better than last year. They won 17 games last year, 17 and 55. They were the worst team in the Western Conference. I think they were the worst team in the NBA. Or at least if not by record definitely in terms of just perception. I think they're going to be poop 
this year. I'm sorry, Houston's fan. I'm sorry, Rockets fans, that you have to deal with this. But unfortunately, when your front office and your ownership is as busted as the Houston Rockets, there really isn't there really isn't much there much of anything to take solace in. And believe me, this is coming from a guy who watched Billy King trade every draft pick, every asset that Brooklyn had for Gerald Wallace, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce. So I know what you guys are going through. There are brighter days ahead. It's just a matter of when are they going to come. Unfortunately for the Brooklyn Nets, it took like five or six years or so for that to happen. So keep your fingers crossed, Rockets fans. And listen, at least Texas has other teams that you guys can watch. I don't know how the television deal works down there, but like if you're in Houston and you get to watch Rockets games and Mavericks games and Spurs games, I wouldn't feel bad about watching the Mavericks just so you can like kind of remember what competitive basketball feels like. Now, next up, we have the Los Angeles Lakers. I am not sold on the Lakers. I think I've said that every week for the last six weeks. Six weeks. I don't think that the Lakers are winning a title this year. I think that they're getting bounced in the second round. I would not be surprised to see them fail to make a Western Conference Finals. This is no disrespect to Anthony Davis or LeBron James. This is no disrespect to Russell Westbrook. Those three guys are going to be responsible for a majority of the team's success. I don't think anyone is questioning that. But the rest of the roster, what the fuck was the Lakers front office doing this offseason? They don't, they, they simply do not compare to last year's team. A team that got bounced in the first round by the Phoenix Suns. Of course, Anthony Davis wasn't there and that was a huge reason. But like, even if AD was there, I don't think the Lakers are blowing the Suns out. I think the series is still going seven games. I still think the Suns had a legitimate chance to beat them, even if the Lakers were fully healthy. But you get rid of KCP. You get rid of Montrez Harrell. You get rid of Kyle Kuzma. Say what you will about Kyle Kuzma. He was at least someone who could produce. Now, who do you replace them with? You bring in Wayne Ellington, Trevor Ariza, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Dwight Howard. You have Talon Horton Tucker, who unfortunately is uh, dealing with a thumb injury. He tore a ligament in his hand somewhere. I don't know how long he's going to be out. I don't know if that was ever disclosed. But still, one of your better young players is not going to be with you through the beginning of the season. You also have LeBron James and Anthony Davis are kind of injury prone. LeBron James is getting older. We don't know how healthy he's going to be. We don't know how how he's going to play in regards to being the first option because I've noticed, and I don't think I'm the only one who's noticed this, but LeBron has been seeding more and more usage to Anthony Davis, at least throughout the regular season, because LeBron is aware that he can't carry teams how he did back when he was in Cleveland, back when he was in Miami. Anthony Davis needs to be the most aggressive and the most dominant version of himself this year to help the Lakers avoid a catastrophically underwhelming performance. This guy needs to be Shaq-like in his attack. And the most frustrating part about this is that Anthony Davis has the talent to, he has the talent to be that dominant. But is there going to be a mental switch? Like back when he was with the New Orleans Pelicans, when he was going into the playoffs, Basically, carrying that team by himself, and he's putting up like 35 and 15 with four blocks 
that's the type of production that the Lakers are going to need. I do think they are title contenders because it would be silly not to think that with a team that has LeBron, that has AD. Two guys who could very, very easily both land as MVP finalists. I just think that the rest of the team, pardon me, I just think that the rest of the team does not complement them that well at all. And I think that even them fully healthy compared to the Clippers and the Nuggets, I still think that the Nuggets for sure are a better team. I think the Clippers are a little bit better, but actually, let me go ahead and... If you're watching this on video, I didn't know this about tier lists, but the teams in or whatever is put in a respective tier, going from left to right is the best to worst in that tier. I didn't figure that out until like six months ago, and that drastically altered how I look at tier lists. Now, next up, Milwaukee Bucks. Folks, there is not much I can say about the Milwaukee Bucks, about Giannis, about Drew, about Chris Middleton. This team is an absolute fucking burner. They are a supernova to the highest degree. And this is why that I feel ultimately when the Nets and Bucks meet in the playoffs, this will be the actual NBA Finals because they are the two best teams in the league. I hope the records reflect that at the end of the year. And it will be the most entertaining matchup. It will be the most, I don't like, I don't want to say violent, but violent in regards to just teams, you know, going back and forth, trading punches with each other. They're without a doubt, the best of the best. I'm putting them behind Brooklyn only by a little bit because the Bucks didn't really get that much better this offseason. I know they lost PJ Tucker, at least compared to the Nets. One positive is that Dante DiVincenzo, Dante DiVincenzo should be back. This season, I don't. Many people didn't talk about it, but last year, last uh, last postseason, I forgot when he went out. But Milwaukee didn't have him for the you know the series against the Nets. Definitely, I think he got hurt like right in the beginning of the postseason, and he just he was absent. I think that was a relatively crushing blow, but as you can see, it didn't really affect them that much. Yeah. Milwaukee, I'm excited as a Nets fan to watch these teams play both Tuesday night, tonight, the night that I'm recording, or the day that I'm recording, and then just throughout the season. I think that these matchups, they're must-see TV, and if you're not watching them, uh, I have no words for you. So next up now, we have the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat, to me, are another interesting team because they definitely (laughs) improved by adding Kyle Lowry, but I don't know how much better he made them. Miami, to me was always a team that, I don't want to say always, obviously not always, but Miami in the last couple of seasons, like, they didn't seem that deep to me. Like, they had Bam, who was, pardon me, I'm sniffling. Bam, fantastic player. Of course, Jimmy Butler, hell of a performance in the 2019 NBA Finals. Now they have Kyle Lowry, respectable, three-point shooter, insane playmaker, great facilitator, just Overall, an upgrade over Goran Dragic. Even though he's not as offensive-minded or as scoring-minded as Dragic was, they don't really need that. Because you have Tyler Harrow, or Tyler Hero, pardon me. You have Bam. You have JB. You have like 60 points right there at the least. And then you have Duncan Robinson, the three-point specialist. And then Kyle Lowry can give you 15, 16, 17 points if necessary. But I don't feel that Miami has a legitimate shot at contending or making it to the NBA finals 
unless what is that fucking clicking unless something unfortunate happens to Milwaukee and Brooklyn so I'm going to put them in the contender column ahead of the Los Angeles Lakers just barely behind the Los Angeles Clippers I mean I feel like those teams are pretty even with one another so you know they're kind of tied for second in that regard now Moving back to the state of Texas, the great state of Texas, the long, the Lone Star State, we have the Dallas Mavericks. We have Luka Doncic, we have Kristaps Porzingis, we have Tim Hardaway. What do the Mavericks do this year? Do they build on themselves? We're just going to take another quick peek at the roster so I can show you guys what they're working with. Tim Hardaway, Dwight Powell, Dwight Powell, who I'm a big fan of, great defensive presence for them. Luka Doncic, of course. Willie Cauley-Stein, Maxi Kleba, Dorian Finney-Smith. They did sign Frank Nielakina, who is a perimeter defender that they needed more than anybody else. They also got Reggie Bullock. So they have two former Knicks on the roster. Well, actually, it's four former Knicks on the roster, but they have two additional former Knicks with them this season. I think that Dallas always kept themselves out of the contender column because their defense was just so fucking atrocious. Like, you guys thought that I was harsh on the Hawks' defense. Dallas was the Hawks if they didn't even try to play defense. Like, at least the Hawks had Clint Capella, who is a very good defensive center. At least they had DeAndre Hunter, who's also a very good perimeter defender in his own right. Dallas had none of that. They literally just had Luka Doncic, and they're like, okay, we're going to take a hunt. We're going to score 130 points a night. And, you know, if we win by five, so be it. A win is a win. With Frank, with uh, Nilakina, and with Reggie Bullock, they do improve on that, that end. Granted, I don't know how significant it's going to be because guess who's coaching? This guy right here. Jason fucking Kidd, who almost by himself reduced all of the good that Dallas did this offseason to nothing because he just sucks, dude. Jason Kidd is not a good coach. He's bad. He's a bad NBA coach. He has no idea what the fuck's going on. Look at his tenure with the Brooklyn Nets, right? Did he have the greatest pieces? No. But there was nothing he did that stood out. Look at his time with the Milwaukee Bucks. Need we say more? He had pretty much the same players that Mike Budenholzer has now. If nothing else, he had Giannis and he had Chris Middleton. And look at what Mike Budenholzer has done with that team compared to Jason Kidd. I don't know what's going to happen with Dallas this year. If they're going to implode on every, if they're just going to implode on both sides of the ball, I don't know. I do think that Luca and Tim Hardaway. And Dwight Powell and Chris Asporzingis, they have the collective talent to prevent the team from closing in on themselves. But they're still not contenders. They do have a chance to make a conference finals. I do think they're a little bit better than Chicago. There we go. I think they're a little bit better than Chicago. Of course, it's always tough to compare across conference because there are just so many, um, there are just so many variables that we have to figure out and you know scheduling and the strength of schedule and it's a mess but on paper I think they are a little bit better than Chicago because their best player is better than Chicago's best player and the supporting casts are about equal in that regard of course unless something happens with KP 
DeMar DeRozan is definitely the side. I don't want to say the sidekick, but he's definitely the wingman that you'd want to have over KP. But we'll see. We'll see. I think Dallas is pretty comfortably going to win 50 games this season. It's just tough to project where 50 wins gets you in the Western Conference. Because like you could be a 50-win team like last year and barely make the postseason. Like you're going to be a seven seed with 50 wins. Of course, the injuries to teams like Denver, LA, any potential injuries with the Lakers, that's going to change things as well. But I think Dallas is sitting pretty comfortable at a potential conference finalist. I'm laughing because I don't even, I don't. Next up is the Pelicans. <laughs> I don't, I'm just going to drop them in the poop tier. We're going to move on. So the <laughs> next up we have the New York Knicks. Now, as a Brooklyn Nets fan, you might think that I am contractually obligated as a fan of the team to talk shit about the Knicks whenever I get the chance. And while that is fun, I do enjoy having a little bit of back and forth with my fellow New Yorkers, my crosstown rivals, if you will. I don't want to shit on the Knicks because I fucking hate when Nets fans say something about the Knicks and they're like, oh, living rent for you, shut up, dude. Shut up. It's the same thing when you guys talk about the Nets unprompted. Shut up. Anyway, I do think the Net or the Knicks have a very, very, very good team this year. RJ, Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker. You get Derrick Rose back. You have Julius Randle. This team is very good. If it weren't for last year, I would have expected. I would have expected. If it weren't for last year, pardon me. Fucking brain isn't working. If it weren't for last year, I would have expected this team to be where last year's team was. No, what were they? Fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. You know, played very well against the Atlanta Hawks in the uh, in the playoffs. It's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough for them to ex to build on that significantly. But I do think that's their baseline. They are without a doubt a playoff team this season. Um, I really should have put a fucking row in between potential conference finalists and middle of the pack because now I'm realizing that now I'm realizing that there are more middle of the pack teams than potential conference finalists. So maybe I'll just change the criteria because it's my show and I can do whatever I want. The Knicks are middle of the pack. I think they're a playoff team. They're definitely better than the Hornets, which are the other team I put in this uh in this row without a doubt better than the Charlotte Hornets like you're looking at another fifth seed another uh, fifth seed finish for them this year I just don't think that they have the star power to blow past Atlanta Chicago Boston uh definitely not uh Brooklyn not Milwaukee not Philly either there's just so much talent ahead of them that they're a middle of the pack playoff team and that's okay because considering the team they have doing this without a, you know, serious, like a bona fide superstar, I mean, no disrespect to Julius Randle. He's played incredible basketball over the last couple of years, but he's not like any of the other top dogs in the Eastern Conference. Now we have the whole, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm just going to drop them in the poop tier ahead of, they're actually the best team in the poop tier. I feel like actually not to lie. Yeah, we're just going to leave them in the poop tier. And uh, the Orlando Magic, dude, I, you're, man, there's something weird about Orlando, like, because that's where Disney is, right? And Disney is the happiest place on earth. 
But going to see an Orlando Magic game is probably the saddest place on earth. Like it's the it's like they're the Sacramento Kings of the East. They don't have anything going for them, really. I mean, let's like let's look at this roster. Robin Lopez, Gary Harris. Gary Harris is a good player. Just I, I think his talents would be better suited on a team that's not the Orlando Magic. Mo Bamba, quality player. Jonathan Isaac, anti-vaxxer. Wendell Carter Jr., who just got an extension, has the potential to be a good player down the road. Same thing with Markel Fultz. I mean, I was never someone who gave up on Fultz just because of like that whole shit with his shoulder. But like overall, this team is just not good. This team is very bad. Yeah, they're going in the poop tier. I feel very confident about my decision to put them in the poop tier. I think that... No, they're going to be worse than the Thunder. The Thunder are just riding on Shea Gilgis-Alexander, which of course is is totally fine. Uh, They're still going to be in the poop tier. Don't get it twisted. Now, we have the Portland Trailblazers, who, to me, fully embody that missing row in between potential conference finalists and middle of the pack because... Portland, no shot they make a conference finals this year. Dame is great. CJ's great. Nurk is great. They did trade for Larry Nance Jr. They do have Norman Powell. Uh, Chauncey Billups at head coach, I don't know how well that's going to work out. But it's not necessarily an indictment on them that they're not going to make it to the conference finals. But it's the breadth of talent that's ahead of them. Again, going back to teams that are hurt and still better than Portland. The Clippers. Nuggets, the Lakers, those teams at their worst are still better than Portland. Dallas, I think, is better than Portland because Dallas is very similar to the Blazers. A lot of offense, not so much defense. Of course, that's going to change a little bit with uh, Larry Nance being there. But um, I think I'll put them at the tail end of the potential conference finalists. They're they're like they're knocking on the door of being a potential. Conference finalist, however, you're a sixth seed in the Western Conference or you're a fifth seed in the Western Conference and you're going up against a team like Utah or a team like Denver or Phoenix even, like, it, it's a wrap for you. There's just, there's just no shot that you're pulling off an upset unless something catastrophic happens. Uh, the Pacers, middle of the pack, they're a little bit better than the Hornets. Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, I think they have a decent team. I just don't think that I just I'm really not too confident in them. There's no particular reason why. I just like it's so it's so tough when you get into the middle of these conferences because the tops of the East and the West are just so dense with talent. They suffocate everybody else, I feel like. Because I mean, they have names on this roster. Karis Levert, uh Miles Turner, who I mentioned, TJ Warren, who I mentioned. TJ McConnell, the god TJ McConnell, Malcolm Brogdon, again, DeMontis Sabonis. Like, those are seven very good players, or six very good players. I'll throw a seventh in there with Jeremy Lamb. But you're not getting past any of the teams that are better than you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, this team is, if, the only way that if Indiana were to make it past the first round of the playoffs, they would have to finish as either a fifth or a fourth seed and match up against the Knicks. Not because I think that the Knicks are a bad team. I just got done praising them in their offseason. But that's the most evenly matched 
evenly matched series that Indiana could win. Like those teams are very close to one another. Neither is that much better than the other in any regard. But like they're getting watched if they go up against Brooklyn, if they go up against Philly, if they go up against Milwaukee. Uh, now, wow, there really are more poop teams than I thought. We're just going to go ahead and perpetuate the tradition of shitting on Sacramento. We're going to put them in the poop tier. Uh, we're going to put Detroit in the poop tier as well. Uh, you know, Detroit, not much I can say about the Detroit Pistons. It's very tough being a fan of any Detroit sports team. Right now, Lions are dog shit. Pistons are dog shit. They might have the rookie of the year winner uh, because they drafted first. Who'd they draft? Cade Cunningham, I think it was. But other than that, I'm sorry. Like, if you have children and you're living in Detroit, you you know, there's nothing wrong with having them grow up as a fan of another team. Like, it's, it's totally okay. Unless you want to put them through all of the heartbreak and devastation that you've experienced throughout your life as a Detroit sports fan. Now, moving on, Phoenix. There we go, folks. I did it. I think the I think the Phoenix Suns are the best team in the Western Conference. They're simply better than everybody. I don't know how much convincing how much more convincing it's going to take Devin Booker, Chris Paul, McCall Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton. The whole squad is back next season. Granted DeAndre Ayton is coming back without an extension, which definitely fucking uh which definitely hurts, definitely hurts Suns fans. But they're they're the team to beat right now. They just got done representing the West in the finals. They played pretty well against Milwaukee. I thought that the Suns were going to beat Milwaukee last year. Uh, granted, obvi- listen, I was definitely wrong. Definitely wrong. Again, Bucks played magnificent basketball. But I felt the Suns had equal talent. The way... The way that Monty Williams executes his game plan is unmatched. This guy is a this guy is a fantastic head coach. And they just they have all of the roles filled so perfectly. Chris Paul compliments Devin Booker perfectly. DeAndre Ayton compliments Devin Booker and Chris Paul perfectly. Jay Crowder is a brilliant three and D guy. Same thing with McCall Bridges. You got quality minutes. From Cameron Thomas, or not Cameron Thomas, Cam Cam Johnson last last offseason. You have Cameron Payne coming back as well. Landry Shamit. Like this team, this team is so good. This team is they they very well can run away with the Western Conference. I don't think it's likely, but to me, there there's nobody that's better. There's nobody that's better. Now we have the San Antonio Spurs. I'm gonna put them in the not quite their category. Just because I don't think they're entirely poop. Because, listen, as long as Greg Popovich is the head coach, we don't know what to expect from the San Antonio Spurs. But just know that, on paper, their roster, mm, mm, definitely among the bottom teams in the West. DeJounte Murray, definitely somebody to watch this upcoming season. But collectively, I would avoid... Spurt. I would avoid picking the Spurs to do anything notable. We have the 76ers. I'm going to drop them at the top of the contender category. Um, There we go. Because Ben Simmons is back. Ben Simmons finally reported to the team. Uh, it came out today that the organization is suspending him one game for t- conduct detrimental to the team, but that's only one game. Embiid, Thomas. Thomas, who the fuck am I even thinking about? There's what? 
Embiid, Tobias. Oh my God, you have Embiid, Tobias Harris, of course, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Philly. I think Philly is more of a threat to Brooklyn this season than Milwaukee, only because like who's gonna guard Joel Embiid? No one on the Nets is gonna guard Joel Embiid. Like Paul Millsap, James Johnson. I'm sorry, guys. They're not. No one is gonna be able to guard. Joel Embiid this year. Toronto. Toronto is a fascinating, a fascinating team because they they were on the top of the world a couple years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Um when I said I said that Jimmy Butler put on a performance in the 2019 NBA Finals. I'm sorry, that was the 2020 NBA Finals. I can't believe uh that slipped my mind. But I only, of course, bring this up because it was the Raptors who went to the finals in 2019, brought a title back to Toronto. And since then, they've kind of just fallen off. Like, what'd they do last year? Nothing. They were, <laughs> holy shit. They were 18 games under 500 last season. Pascal Siakam is going to be fun to watch. OG Ananobi. Uh, I saw someone call him a potential superstar. I don't know about that, but he could be someone who the Raptors look to flip. At the trade deadline, I think that might be a little bit of uh, kind of crazy for me to say, but you know, if they really are trying to rebuild around Pascal Siakam and OG is having a good season, and you feel you have the leverage in a trade, like I'm, I'm just saying, I think at this point the Raptors are open to doing whatever because it realistically can only go up from here. Uh, I'm not gonna put Toronto in the poop category because. They have uh, Fred Van Vliet as well. They have Goran Dragic, who they got in the trade with Miami. Um, they are just on the outside of being a playoff team, I feel like. If the East weren't so stacked top to bottom, I think Toronto would have a pretty pretty decent chance of making it into the postseason. But there's there's just there's just too much. There's just too much going against them. Next, we have the Utah Jazz. I'm just going to do the Jazz and the Warriors back-to-back because I have... I have... I've, I am not a fan of the Utah Jazz. I don't know why I said it like that. I think the team is great. I think Donovan Mitchell is great. Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, Rudy Gobert. I'm not a fan of how I'm not able to have any confidence in this team because a team that's as talented as Utah should be able to pretty much just dominate the rest of the league. Like there's no reason why they're not routinely going to the finals or going to the conference finals. And they've just been unable to do it, which is why I think the Warriors are a better team than they are. Now, let me clarify this. The Warriors will be getting Klay Thompson back at some point. They have Steph Curry. They have Draymond Green. They have Jordan Poole who played his ass off in the preseason is going to be a serious asset to them going forward. I think that Golden State could, they are, they're contenders again, right away, almost immediately. Like they're going to bounce back like nothing happened. Steph is going to have another career season, probably. Draymond's probably going to be in the defensive player of the year conversation as always. I just feel like this team, like, I just feel that with how the energy around this team is, they're going to snap back to the norm and people are going to be shocked. It's going to be like someone just dropped a fucking bomb on their house or 
like kicked i'm not even kicked their dog off a bridge i'm not gonna say that that's fucking mean but i just feel like there is i just feel like it's people are gonna be shocked when the warriors are dominant again and they shouldn't be like i think the warriors uh, clearly as you can tell i think they're the second or third best team in the Western Conference, if everyone was healthy from the start, I still think they're top four. I think they're better than the Lakers this year. Um, that's definitely a hot take. But I think the Warriors are. I would not. All I'm gonna say is just to wrap that up. Expect the Warriors to upset a lot of teams this season. Don't be surprised if they make it to the conference finals with relative ease. Now we're going down to the. Uh, Nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with the Washington Wizards. I'm putting them in the not-quite-there category because I want my boy Spencer Dinwiddie to do well. I missed watching him play basketball, and as much as I think that Bradley Beal's vaccine rhetoric is disastrous and a catastrophe, he's still a hell of a basketball player, and, you know, you can separate that from his dog shit opinions. I don't think they're in the poop tier because they're not that bad. Like, there have definitely been worse Wizards teams, but they're not making the playoffs this season at all. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and drop the Timberwolves in the not-quite-there section as well since we're there. Timberwolves are kind of in the same boat as the Cavaliers and the Wizards. You have Carl Anthony Towns. You have Anthony Edwards. You have D'Angelo Russell. You have the talent to not suck or that badly. But I don't think, I just think that they're going to get too unlucky and the conference is not, it's not a favorable position to them to, for them to be in. The Memphis Grizzlies, I think that they are the best middle of the pack team in the sense that they could get lucky because, you know, listen, man, you have John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Dylan Brooks. Uh, I'm just looking over the roster. Kyle Anderson. Uh, Steven Adams, who they got from New Orleans, I think is a great addition for them. And then Brandon Clark, who I've always been a huge fan of. This team is, yeah, the best of the middle of the pack. And I just don't think, I think they need another year. I think they need another year. I want to see Ja. I think that once Ja reaches his prime, that's when things are really going to start to click for the Grizzlies. How much time are we at here? We're at 46 minutes. Okay. And that's it. That's my tier list. That's my tier list. I'm going to go ahead and give a thumbs up to the camera for the thumbnail. Sick. Yeah, dude. Uh, Very excited. Very excited for just the uncertainty that is going to accompany this NBA season. That's I feel like, you know... We're as NBA fans for the longest time. We've always heard people talk about all oh, the NBA. There's no parity. There's no tension. The league isn't competitive, and that's why nobody watches. It's like, well, first of all, you you're right. You were right. I should say that was a huge problem. The Warriors, like the whole Warriors Cavaliers thing, it only highlighted what the NBA has always done throughout the course of history. Like. The NBA has never been super competitive, right? What was going on in the 2000s, for example? How many different champions were there in the 2000s? There were like five every year. The Lakers were in it. The Spurs were a contender. The Celtics. 
And that was really it, right? You know, the Pistons won in 2004, but the, I don't want to say that was kind of a fluke because they had a great team that season. But really, every year, it's like the Lakers, the Spurs, you only have a handful of contenders. Like, there are more contenders now for this season, like legitimate contenders as well. Just like if we put everybody in a vacuum, no injuries, everyone's playing on 100%. You have three, five, seven, ten guys or 10 organizations who you could make the case could get to the championship game maybe not win but make it to the NBA finals and that's of course you know maybe the Hawks do something at the trade deadline to bolster to bolster their defense and you know what's the word uh, patch their holes same thing with Boston like there is a lot that can happen this season it's going to be very intense it's not going to be good for my heart I'm expecting a lot of, you know, just horrible nights where the Nets in particular underperform. I would not be surprised if like they started off the season underperforming. Like I feel like that's just that's just how it goes. And then they'll turn it on and they'll win like 27 games in a row. But all in all, I'm very excited and since we're doing like power rankings and things of that nature, I might as well just really quick give my uh, my NBA awards. So MVP Kevin Durant Defensive Player of the Year, Kevin Durant. Rookie of the Year, Cameron Thomas. These are totally unbiased, by the way. Sixth Man of the Year, uh, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Most Improved Player, Kevin Durant. Coach of the Year, Steve Nash. And Executive of the Year is going to be Sean Marks. Um, those are my totally unbiased NBA awards for the upcoming season. And I think that pretty much covers the bulk of what I wanted to do today. We could fuck around for a little bit and, you know, look at some news. There were a lot, a lot of rookies or not a lot of rookie scale contracts who got extended. Um, I know, I think. It was, uh, let's see. I think it was Mark Stein who had a list of all the 2018 draftees that got extended. I think it was him. Let's see what we got here. Okay. 11 extensions for 2018 draftees. Doncic, Doncic and Trey Young were kind of, you know, the no-brainers at this point. They got maxes with, you know, undeniably got maxes. Uh, SGA got one as well. Michael Porter Jr., Got one. And then Jaron Jackson Jr. got a pretty decent contract. It was, I'm like, why am I slouching? <laughs> it was, uh, what was it? I think it was four years, $106 million or so. That's Memphis just banking on his potential. Because Jaron Jackson Jr. is a hell of a player. He could be the prototypical stretch five going forward for the modern NBA. Great size. Great touch. If he expands his offense, you know, just to be more well-rounded, you know, like a legitimate option in the post, and then being able to shoot 37, 38% from three, they're going to be tough to guard. And then you add in, add in his defensive prowess as well. The only thing that really is working against Triple J is um, his injuries. Like, he has to stay healthy. And I feel like that happens a lot with players. I mean, we were having the same conversation with, Michael Porter Jr., but, you know, if you're an organization 
and you believe in the guys that you're drafting, you're you're more inclined to take that risk, especially when what they've shown you when healthy is so just undeniably good for your franchise. Wendell Carter Jr. got one. That was a relatively small extension. I think it was uh, forty million in total over a couple of years. McCall Bridges, Kevin Herter, um, Grayson Allen recently got one as well, another small one. Landry Shamet, I think, got forty three million, and then Robert Williams. So, all in all, like these teams are not fucking around with their talent. Really, the only team that is, uh, what the fuck, the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are really the only team who had a player worthy of an extension and just straight up didn't give one out. Like the other guys who went unsigned, Marvin Bagley, uh, nothing against him, but he hasn't really, you know, shown anything. Well, actually, let me let me rework what I'm saying. That's kind of a reactionary take. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but I think that it's very easy or Marvin Bagley to walk away from Sacramento. Like if they don't offer him what he feels he's worth and he's not deserving of a max extension for sure, but this could easily just, you know, be a way for him to get out of Sacramento and find a situation that doesn't suck. Same thing with Mo Bamba, although Mo Bamba really another guy who just hasn't, he just hasn't been super consistent. Like another guy deals with injuries a lot. And with Mo Bamba, Beyond him being a defensive specialist, he hasn't really shown anything to the Orlando Magic. Granted, the Orlando the Orlando Magic haven't shown anything to him either, so could be just another way for him to get out. Then we have Colin Sexton. I could have sworn that Colin Sexton got an extension. Uh, Kevin Knox, I'm not surprised. Just that dude has been unable to do anything for the New York Knicks. Like It's a shame, but he hasn't panned out. He hasn't panned out for them. Maybe the organization is like, you know what, dude? We've tried. We're going to let you go somewhere else, and hopefully it works out for you. Miles Bridges, I was a little surprised when this news dropped just because I could have sworn that, like, Miles Bridges was a good player. Like, this dude's averaging about 13 points over his last two seasons, like six assists. I mean, he's got defensive potential, I guess, but, like, an athletic wing who can get out of transition, someone who can attack the boards and is a lob target for LaMelo Ball. I felt that Charlotte would have bounced on that, but I guess not. I guess not. There's Adam Silver talking about Kyrie Irving. Um, Yeah, I don't know. The only thing I took away from this article, this article in particular with Adam Silver talking about Kyrie is that Adam Silver pushed for a vaccine mandate, but the union did not. NBA commissioner Adam Silver said Monday he would have preferred that the NBA and the Players Association come to an agreement on a vaccine mandate in part to avoid it becoming an adversarial issue for the league's players as it has for Kyrie Irving. Quote, I won't try to speak for the for the Players Association other than the view that some players had, I think, including maybe some players who are vaccinated, that it should be an individual choice among the players. I would have preferred that ultimately the Players Association agreed to mandatory vaccinations. 
The officials' union agreed to mandatory vaccinations despite opposition from some of their members. But ultimately, I think we could have avoided a lot of the adversarial nature of these issues for our players. It's not so much with the league. I think that gets confused in some cases. This is between Irving and New York City right now. This is not a league issue, but I think it would have been best for everyone if every player were vaccinated. Of course, like that's the that's the common thread. Um, I don't want to read all of this because I really don't think I really don't think Adam Silver says anything here. He's just you know he's stating the obvious. I mean, also he's the least commissioner. He's not going to go out and start shitting on the players. Like Kyrie Irving doesn't have beef or allegedly doesn't have beef with anyone in the Nets office or on in the Nets organization. He doesn't have beef with anyone in the like league office either. He just has beef with Mayor de Blasio and whatever in and whatever mayor succeeds him, whether it's Eric Adams or someone else. He's got beef with them and their vaccination ordinance. I mean, I've said enough about this topic. Like Adam Silver said a lot without really saying anything. The the key takeaway from this is that, you know, he comes out and says that we should have pushed for mandatory vaccinations. Like they tried and the players union was like, nope, no can do partner, which I think just again, this that fucked up everything from the beginning. Oh, article from Zach Lowe. We love Zach Lowe. Too bad it's behind a paywall. Never mind. Awesome. I fucking love that. Thanks, ESPN. I wonder if there's like any more basketball talk that I wanted to today because I don't. Uh, there really isn't anything. We talked about all the players getting extensions, uh, and then of course I did the um, tier list. I don't know. Like, I don't know. This is a uh, there's a whole lot of nothing happening right now. I think I'm gonna close it out for today, but. Actually, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm going to vent. I'm going to vent about why the fuck the football gods are like, everybody's going to be hurt this season. So as you guys know, every year I do a fantasy league with a bunch of my hometown friends. I improved to 6-0 yesterday. I'm first. I'm in first place in the league. Uh, I have the best record. I'm like 20 points away from being the top scorer. My team is my team is crushing it. Undeniably. Team is absolute absolutely crushing it despite the fact that Devontae Parker, Devontae Parker, well he didn't play last week at all, which is awesome. Devontae Adams underperformed, Mark Cooper underperformed. Um who else underperformed? Pretty much everybody on my team underperformed, but Chris Carson moved to the IR. Kareem Hunt is now going to be on the IR two huge pieces of my team are moving to the IR. And I just feel like this is nothing against against them, obviously. Like, I'm not going to shit on them for getting hurt because it's not something that they can control. But, like, I, I, feel, I feel that this year players are getting hurt at a faster rate and they're being placed on the IR as well. I mean, it started with Christian McCaffrey. Now you have Kareem Hunt. You have Chris Carson. Nick Chubb, the other Browns running back, was hurt last week as well. Saquon Barkley, I don't think he's on the IR, but he's going to be out, or he was out this past week. Not that the Giants could, could have needed him. I mean, they got fucking ass-blasted by like 30 points, but I don't know. Like, Am I the only one 
who feels this way. So I'm like, I'm kind of fucked. I'm looking at my team for this week. And, you know, when you're in a 12-person league, it's like the waiver wire is just bone fucking dry. It's about as wet as a fucking convent. There is nothing. There is no one to pick up. I'm looking at the running backs and all of them. Every single one is projected less than seven points this week. And I, I literally have no other option. My only other active running back right now is Leonard Fournette. That, maybe that was me drafting poorly. But like, keep in mind that I drafted three running backs at the, when I drafted, dude. I drafted three running backs. And Leonard Fournette, I thought, was going to be the guy who kind of got, you know, Lost in the sauce. He, more so, I thought he was going to be playing the flex because I had two elite running backs. And then the Lord giveth and the Lord take it away. They gave me, the football gods gave me six wins. And then they're like, okay, you're dominating the league too much. We have to hand out a couple injuries to bring you back down to size. And I'm like, well, this fucking sucks. And it's like, what, what, like, what do I do, man? It's so weird. I hate it. I hate it. And like the same thing goes with all the wide receivers on the waiver wire. Like, listen, my receivers are pretty good. Devontae Adams, Amari Cooper. Uh, who am I forgetting? I drafted Kenny Galladay as well. I thought he was going to be better, but he got fucking hurt two weeks ago as well. Then Mecole Hardman, Devontae Parker, who I had on my team last year, who I absolutely fucking loved. And it's just like, yeah. And that's another thing. Devontae Parker missed last week as well. Not like I would have played him over, you know, Adams or Cooper, but I had to go with Mecole Hardman, who is at the best, the, th- the third option for Patrick Mahomes. It's just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very sad about this right now. I'm still keeping the faith. As long as I make the playoffs, I'll be good. It's just getting there. And, you know, I already got six wins. As long as I pull out like two or three more before the end of the season, I think I'll be okay. Now, before I close it out, I want to talk to you guys about this new segment called Non-Video Game Reviewer Reviews Video Games. As you guys know, last week, Back for Blood came out. I don't know how many of you guys are like into video games or grew up playing video games like I did. But if you grew up playing video games and you're in my age group, like, you know, the 20, like the, let's say 23 to 30 ish like that demographic you have to know about left for dead left for dead and left for dead 2 is still to this day the premier cooperative zombie first person shooter experience now just a little bit of backstory back for blood is developed by i think it's the same developers who left valve and went with uh warner brothers as their publisher to develop the spiritual successor to left for dead and man, let me tell you, Back for Blood, I don't know if I hate this game, but I also don't know if I like it. I mean, I like it, but I don't know how much I like it. So I'm playing with the boys. We are up to the last mission right now, so I haven't beaten it. Uh, granted, we've failed the final mission like three or four times already. This game is so unforgiving. It will take your butt cheeks, spread them, and then just spit right in the hole. It is so infuriatingly hard at times that I 
I get so overstimulated with everything happen happening on the screen that I just go into sleep mode. Like my body, my brain just shuts off. And the weirdest part is that I don't remember either left either Left 4 Dead 1 or Left 4 Dead 2 being this difficult. And I don't necessarily have an issue with games that are difficult. Like a game like Hades, for example. That game is hard, right? But I play it knowing it's going to be hard. I know it's unforgiving, and that's fine. Same thing with Dark Souls. I've never played Dark Souls, but I know that it is, by design, an incredibly hard game. Back for Blood was... I don't rem I don't know if, if like I just misread how it was marketed, but I played the beta and I didn't think it was that difficult. Like it was hard, it was a challenge, but it wasn't overwhelming. Like it wasn't hard in the sense that I felt defeated after I failed a mission. It just it felt like a challenge, which was fine. And granted, like in regards to technical ability, the game feels good to play. Like the gunplay is very smooth. It's a lot smoother than it was in the beta, which I'm actually very impressed by. Um, I play it on the Xbox Series S. I haven't gotten a Series X yet because uh, scalpers. And nor do I have a PC because I'm poor. But, you know, I didn't have any issues running the game. There were no like flame drop, f flame drops. There were no frame drops. Um, no one, no one in my squad ever DC'd. There was only one time someone disconnected and i think it was because my friend's son shut off his xbox so that doesn't even really count but in terms of artistically like the game is very it plays it very safe and i think that's why i have sort of an issue with why it's so hard because like you beat a hard level and you don't feel rewarded or anything like the characters are meh the dialogue is absolute, absolutely atrocious. None of them are really charming. The dialogue isn't that great. The story, it's it's an intriguing story that I feel has a lot of lore behind it, but like you don't really get anything out of it. And then on top of that, the levels, like they're not memorable in any way. Like I feel because this was the first game and I feel that this studio is going to put out a sequel and eventually a third game just because we never got Left 4 Dead 3. I feel like they played it very safe in the beginning so that way the game and the player base had a foundation to build on where it didn't chase the player base away with just how bad it was, but it also didn't blow anyone's minds. If that makes any sense, like they did it safe intentionally so that way people came away from the experience like thinking okay this is a good foundation the card system is kind of neat i will have to give it to the developers i do enjoy the card system i just would have maybe liked if the cards were a little bit more overpowered because it gets to points where like the zombies there are just too many zombies on the screen between the common infected or the common ridden whatever you want me to call them and all the special infected and then all the bosses that come through it's it's just like if you get a if you get bad RNG that round, it's a wrap. And I just kind of wish the cards did more to combat that, combat that. But you know, then again, there is a potential sequel in the works. I mean, this game just dropped, so to talk about sequels already is kind of disingenuous. But it's a it's an interesting experience, and I don't think I'm as upset because it is on Game Pass, so I didn't have to pay sixty dollars for a game that you know is kind of you know not all that, and the story isn't really that long either i think it's like 
10 hours worth. Like I have about 10 hours logged in this game. And it's because me and my friends, you know, we're not the best. We're fucking casual gamers. So it takes us a couple times to beat the more, you know, the more difficult levels, the boss levels and stuff. But there are certain points where like you'll start the final mission of an act and it'll be done in five minutes. And then you'll go to the to the end of the next act and it'll take you three tries to beat the boss. It's just uh, the biggest thing with me is just like the difficulty, the balancing in terms of the enemies. And I think part of that is compounded by the fact that like the experience really isn't rewarding. Like I don't feel rewarded after beating the third act or the second act. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like this isn't a comprehensive review. Again, I don't review video games for a living. I just play them and have uh, you know, kind of a, uh, I don't know if it's like a short-sighted opinion, but I'm definitely not the best reviewer. Like, the game is good. I'd give it like a six and a half. It's just all of like the artistic elements of the game that could have pushed it to a higher level. Like, that's really it. They played it very safe, and I'm I'm not surprised, really, because it is a newish studio that is, you know, taking on a project by themselves and again when you're billing it as the spiritual successor to left for dead which i think is it's good marketing but it's also not because it's always going to be compared in that vein and even if it wasn't marketed as that people would still compare a competitive zombie slayer to left for dead but i do think it's different enough definitely not as good as left for dead and we'll we'll see what happens maybe uh when me and my boys beat it this time we'll go again and try it on a harder difficulty, maybe. But um, like again, I just don't find it very replayable. Like if you're gonna just grind cards and stuff like that, that's cool and everything. That's fine, but that's not something really that excites me. Like the corruption cards are also another cool idea. How each level is never the same because you'll get a different set of cards, whether it's misty or there are different kinds of special infected or the powers out. Like that's cool, and I do see how the randomization will keep people coming back. But for me, like that doesn't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily do it. But if you have Xbox game pass, you play on PC, go ahead, download it, formulate your old, your own opinions. I'm not trying to talk anyone out of a game that they might enjoy. But with that said, thank you guys so very much for coming to hang out with me today. It was a pleasure as always. Everything that I'm associated with is down in the description box below. Follow me on social medias, follow the show on social media, subscribe, to the YouTube channel where I upload clips from this very podcast. If you're listening to this on an Apple device, on Apple Podcasts more specifically, go ahead, leave a rating and a review. Helps me out tremendously. Also, feel free to follow the show on whatever your preferred player is. And with that, thank you guys, and I'll catch you all in the next one.